Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, we are back in full effect in the Detroit Is Different podcast studios. And it is spring on paper, but still feeling a little wintry outside. (laughs) And I have some guests that are, by the way, of one of the OGs. One of the mentors, Charlene, has brought some of her clientele, but also most of Charlene's clients, whether you know it or not, are like family to Charlene. And if you even meet her, she'll tell you about how things need to be organized. So when she gave me a call and she was like, "Will you talk to these guys, they got some real cool products. And I'm like, you don't even have to ask. It's yes before yes. Amada Senior Care is in full effect. Please make introductions. Thank thank you, Kari. I am Greg Hines. Uh, I am one of the co-owners of Amada Senior Care. Uh, Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Kevin Manuel, also co-owner of Amada Senior Care. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Detroit. We usually start with the Detroit journey. I talk to so many people from Detroit. It's like, you know, what's what's going on? Uh, How did you start here? What, What ways did you come about? But now you're business people in the city of Detroit. Uh, by way of Indiana, so you're, you're Big Ten brethren. That's correct, absolutely. But at the same time, you Go made Hoosiers. your way around here. Right. Oh, this guy, <laughs> this guy, this guy. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, doing business in Detroit. What sure. what is it? Uh, what led you to this market? Well, my, my journey is really interesting. Uh, Kevin and I both grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Gary, Indiana, the the big town that pretty much <laughs> dictates. How the state operates. Um, we talk about uh, we talk about our own perception, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Big Brother of Chicago. Uh, so I grew up in Gary, Indiana. But after college, and we both went to Indiana University. That's how we met. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point after college, I ended up living in Washington D.C. I was selling pharmaceuticals out there. I uh, got a call from a recruiter at Ford Motor Company. <clears throat> and said, "Listen, we're looking for some some folks, some black folks, to come and work in." inside Ford Co- Corporate, are you interested? So the answer was yes, I came here, I interviewed, and I started working at Detroit. But here's the interesting part. About a week, Kari, before I got that phone call, I was actually in Detroit doing the pharmaceutical thing with a colleague. I was working at Gross Point, and I think at that point it was called Cottage Hospital, and, every, and I'd get off at 7 a.m. every morning, and in the morning I'd just drive just to... To, to check out the city, and I drive up Jefferson. I remember saying that there was no way in the world I'd live in Detroit. Hmm. Uh, uh, fast forward about three months, I was packing up uh, all my stuff to move here. Ain't that something? To live Serendipity. in Detroit. Serendipity. And, and have been here now almost 30 years. Wow. And, and love every bit of it. Wow, you like my dad. You, he, he relocated from Cincinnati and been here for a long time. Sure, 30 sure. years. Sure. Almost almost 30 years now. Three decades. Man, yeah, you were yeah. here for a minute. Yes, yes, yes. And, lo- and love every minute of it. Detroit's been really, really good. And so the impact on, and, the, and, and so for me, one of the things that I saw, and I'll finish up in a quick second here. Uh, I, I, I continued to do what I was doing. Um, in 2014, Kevin and I came together and said, we need to do something a little bit different, a little bit bigger than what we're doing. So we started looking into elder, the elder side of medicine, and we came across this opportunity with Amada Senior Care, and we thought it was a great area. We thought that the people needed a business 
where it was honest, where the people had concern for the patients that they were taking care of, and we wanted to do it a little differently than uh, than what we had seen for the care for our parents, and, and so that's how we sort of got started. And that's my side of it. I think Kevin will give his side. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, I, I got here. Uh, I'm from Indiana, also like uh, like Greg, but uh, I'm from Terre Haute, Indiana, a mm-hmm. uh, little nicer place than Gary. But anyway, uh, I got here uh, via Cleveland. I was working in Cleveland. I was in pharmaceutical sales. Uh, I was working for a big pharma, and I had gotten a, a promotion. So I was got transferred here to Detroit. I hadn't been coming to Detroit for years. My brother-in-law lived here, his family. Uh, but I never thought I'd be living in Detroit. But that opportunity came about, so I ended up in Detroit in 2001. Uh, and um, as Greg said, in 2014, that's when we made that decision to, to go into business. And, and prior to pharmaceutical sales, I was, doing a, I was doing banking, retail banking, and that gave me the opportunity to really interact with a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners. And that's where I got my, um, <clears throat> I would say, uh, that fever. I always wanted to, to do my own thing. Uh, and so that opportunity came up in 2014. Okay, so both of you all come from a sense of connecting through pharmaceuticals, sure. coming this way to Detroit, and then understanding more of the culture here and what's happening in and around the city of Detroit. Um, right now, that definitely moves me right to ask, instead of like jumping so much more into your background questions, let's talk a little bit about what's happened in pharmaceuticals over time. Uh, even in the pregame discussion, we were talking about sure. just the amount of advertising spent from so many drugs that, that exist right now and, and what happens. And that's what makes aging care so important for many of us that are caring for aging uh, family members, friends, and just loved ones that we have. What What's happened and changed so much in that industry? Because it seems that it's evolving every day. Well, I think, I think through the years, uh, I mean, obviously the pharmaceutical industry uh, spends a lot of dollars in the, through legislation, through, through, through whatever, to try to move the industry forward. Uh, the re- revenues are important, obviously, in pharmaceuticals. Um, people need drugs, you know, and be quite frankly with you. I think that the changes probably that we've seen have come on the side of the consumer more than anything else, though. I think mm-hmm. there have re- been regulations put in place so that that the power of the pharmaceutical industry is kind of got dampened a little bit, uh, but there's still a big player in everybody's lives. We see the commercials. They probably see more pharmaceutical commercials than you see any other kind of commercials because yeah. they're trying to sell a product. Uh, but but from a standpoint of the consumer, I think that we were probably for it. We're probably more knowledgeable. Uh, I think that we're in better positions to make better decisions of some of the drugs that we use and some of the drugs that we take. Um, I, I think that we're probably in a better spot, not to say that the industry doesn't have a whole lot of power, because it's probably one of the most powerful ones from a lobbying standpoint around. Yeah. Yeah, the pharmaceutical industry has it's changed. I was in it for about 18, almost 20 years, uh, but it changed over that over, over a time period. It's actually shrank as far as marketing is concerned. Uh, marketing, the folks that are out in the field doing the marketing, has actually shrank. Uh, you still see you see them on TV. You see the uh, pharmaceutical companies on television uh, a lot, but the folks out there doing the marketing, it has been condensed because the consolidations. Once a drug comes off a patent, they have no need for you to sell that drug anymore. Okay, so so it, it has changed a bit, but of course they have 
it's very important for the pharmaceutical industry to be there because we live a lot longer because of medications, you know, and that, and that is a fact. And some dispute that, but that is a fact. But um, that's where I cut my chops as far as marketing and understanding business. That helped also along with my, my banking, as I said before. But uh, the reason we we are where we are, I believe, as we, doing the work, the type of work we were doing, made us a bit more. We were professionals, okay, and, and prepared, and, and prepared to do what we're doing. And as you talk about that preparation and being professional, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about aging care in yeah, sure. that market sure. and what touched your hearts to enter that market, sure. uh, especially as black men connected to that. Uh, when I think of that industry, I think of corporations that have like uh, huge boards and it probably ain't a lot of us in that world. But right. this is just my perspective and from what I've seen, uh, what touched your heart to enter this industry? Well, for, for me, it was prior to me getting into this, my father-in-law got sick. He was sick for many years, and and I could see the level of care that he was getting from my mother-in-law and how much it, it, it how much it took out of her because she obviously she loved him and she wanted to take care of him, and it really wasn't people coming into the house a lot. It was her taking care of him, and I always said, you know, I wish I wish I knew what I. What I know now, which I knew back then, uh, but I could see the importance of having someone who really loved you and take care of you. But also, I could see the other side of it, what it took out of someone. And if we could ever, step, if I could ever get into this business, step in and give that family member, that primary caregiver, a respite, um, I could see the the benefits of that. And of course, we didn't invent this, and people have already been doing it. But let's do it the right way. Mm -hmm. and, and our motto is we're always going to do the right thing for our clients and our employees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think my motivation was, was similar. Not, not that I had family members at that point who needed care, but I, but I understood the importance of good care. It's almost like Malcolm King's, the group of the malcontent. I was sort of malcontent of what I knew of the industry because you'd see videos of people, of elders getting beat and hit and and not good care. So so part of the motivation was that we could go into business, we could be malcontent, and we could change things and make things better. Uh, my second motivation was, it, you know, just to be quite honest and, and transparent, 19 million, no, 90, is it 90 million baby boomers? And at that point, about 90 million baby boomers, and that market was growing. So we saw an opportunity not only to have a solid business where we were doing the right thing, but an opportunity to be successful, financially successful. But what was interesting, Kari, was that, that that went out of the window the first time that we, the, for our first client. Our first client, I'll never forget it, was a guy that we went to him and we said that we're new, can we help you? And he looked at us like, you've got to be kidding me. You guys don't know how to do this. We ended up getting the client and it was really the best experience I think we could have ever had because at that point we were new, we didn't know what it was about. We had a chance to really see what this industry was about. We had a, a chance to understand what care was about. And after that very first client, my motivation changed from the financial side to the work side, that we got to do good work. And if we do good work, then the rest will follow. And as you talk about good work and the rest will follow, uh, just it, with my age, as young as I am, 
but now I'm assuming different roles. With my mom's passing, and my mom really was a big caretaker for my family, it's changed some of the relationships I have with my aunt, that's 82, and even my grandma, that's 89, and some of the other elders in my family. Uh, but just being in that role of knowing that there's a level of independence that's sure. still wanted, sure. and then it's also a level of quality of life that they already expect right. that needs to stay at that level. So, for instance, my, my granny, uh, my granny that's 89 in Cincinnati, I, I think that she can be one of the most unreasonable people on earth sometimes, <laughs> the way we that she likes those. certain sure. things sure. done. Yeah. But when you, when you, her, she's so sound in mind as much as she may not be able to move as much, it's it's like the logic behind some of it is very simple. It's like, okay, you got to make things like this. If you're going to cook the greens, you got to wash the greens <laughs> like this. And you got to, and it's like, yo, you know what I'm saying? In reality, you should kind of be happy that I'm making the greens. But in reality, she's not going to eat the greens if it's not done in a certain way, if it's not done in that same care. And then honoring the fact that, like, um, you know, that she, you know, even buying clothing, as the the shopping experiences change, just small nuances of this. Uh, how how in your facility do you uh, allow uh, some of the people that you're caring for? Uh, how do you uh, when, when giving care to people? Do you honor just the fact that like this is an individual and we want them to fall into what we have in our family and just mesh the cultures together yeah. and, and understandings? Yeah, it's all about. Fun thing, allowing the client to keep their dignity. All right, that's huge. And they may be older now. They may be 80, they may be 90. But one time they were 20, 25, and they had a career, and they were working. And the only thing has changed, especially if they still have their mind, is that their body, as you said, mm -hmm. their body has gotten old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But their mind is still there. They are who they are. They are who they are. So what we tell our people, find out who they are. What did they do? And let's start having conversations about that. Let's respect who they are because they did a lot prior to this situation. And if you want to really get to know someone and, and, and connect with them, just start asking questions about what they have done. Let's start asking questions about their lives. And, uh, and, and, and so I think and that's part of that whole dignity thing is, is you, they're maintaining that. You want to show that you, you, that you have respect for, for them as an individual. So the relationships between uh, your team and also the people you're caring for, I'm guessing, are, are, are very are very layered, they're thick, and, and you see those bonds, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, you can see the bonds uh, depending on the level, uh, uh, how long that person's been with them, and you can see it. Some people really connect. There are some that really connect. And what we do is we don't have a facility. We send people out to the homes. Mm -hmm. So that's another dynamic is that you coming into someone's home and they're not used to that and so you got they got to accept not only that someone's coming into their home and then liking that person that's coming into their home okay and then <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about that more so like if this person's coming into a person's home uh that that's definitely uh gonna be in the culture and in the flow uh what's the uh what's what's the how are you choosing your staff? How do you how do you go about building your team, and how does that development grow? Well, it's you know just, just remember, uh, home care is quintessentially about independence, right? It's about making sure that these people who, as Kevin talked about earlier, 
they were this person when they were younger. They're still that person unless there's some kind of cognitive issue. Uh, so we're trying to keep them independent, and we're trying to keep them in the home. And, and so in order to be effective at doing that, Kari, we've got to select those caregivers who we think match best with that person, whether it's personality, whether it's life experiences, whether it's some kind of commonality. We're searching through whatever methods that we have to find that out to fit this caregiver that we're sending out to this person that we're taking care of. And for us, that's probably been the best way to do it. A lot of times what happens, well, I shouldn't say a lot of times, all the time what happens with Kevin and I is that if we, when we get a new client, either he or I go out to see that client, and that's critically important on a couple wow. different levels. Uh, the first reason is that they know that they've got, owners, they've got oversight by the folks who own the company, and that's important to a lot of people. Uh, the second thing is that we can go out, and we're probably closer to age than our clients, than our caregivers are. So we can go out and have these crucial conversations and talk about things that we understand or maybe our parents talk to us about so that we get these little bits of information that we give back to the caregivers that we send out. And whenever we can create a match like that, it works. Because now it does do what Kevin talked about, and that's allow them to continue their dignity and, it, and, and the other thing it does is it allows them to freely have somebody in their house, no issues, no barriers, and then that level of independence still is there for them. Okay, and as you talk about that level of independence, it, some of it also is maybe even the, um, their own ideas of what can be done and what can't be done. Uh, as I'll tell you uh, another great story with my granny. Uh, as of recently, we, her television went out. And uh, she she broke both her hips uh, maybe about three years ago because mm. she broke one of her hips. Real strong lady too. Like she was like sliding to, to the phone because mm. she doesn't want to wear the um, she doesn't want to wear the emergency alert. She doesn't want to wear that for right. for the reason of I don't want to look like no old person. I was like, Yo, you, uh, let, let us talk to it. Let us talk to her. She needs to. We'll get her one. Yeah, it's like I don't know. Uh, what age we're going to assume this, <laughs> this See, barrier from home. Still <laughs> but it's like, all right. But she, um, she ended up uh, breaking both her hips, so she's not as mobile, sure. uh, but still definitely wants to be involved in many of the decisions. So when her TV went out, it's, the, it's like, okay, I can call the TV repair people. And I'm like, yo, Granny, TV repair people. It ain't, it ain't back in the day. Like, right. you know, the the appliance repair yeah. shop is not, right. that ain't happening right. nowadays. That's right. What you're gonna do is they're gonna say box it up, and you're probably gonna ship it to a company that's not even the company that made the that's TV. Right. And I'm that's like, right. I noticed because I got too much equipment, <laughs> right. you know. And she was like, well, I'm gonna try. And then she called, and she was like, it was this Indian guy, and I was like, and I just hung up. <laughs> so that was day one. Day two, she was like, I'm gonna try again. I think it's a place on the other side of town. By day three, she finally said, well, if you want to buy me the TV, <laughs> you can buy me the TV. And that was the willingness that started her finally saying, thank you for buying the TV. So sure. it took like a five-day process, yeah, but right. she wanted to be a part of that. But some of it is also, as we age, um, your your client maybe not even knowing what they can or cannot do. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Or, uh, you know, as, as they may lose touch with what's going on. Yeah, right. Um, how, how do you all deal with that? How, how does your team deal with that? How, how does that happen? Because I can only imagine what that's like, even in my family sometimes, with talks like that with my granny, of like, you can't do that anymore. 
but they're saying I want to do this. How does that um, as as that relationship grows? Yeah, of course, it's different. Whatever you just like different personalities and people accept things differently and it, it's just a matter of conversation and a lot of times you want to bring the family into it and and you guys have combination you know you just have a you have a conversation and you know what because whenever we go out and, and we intake a client we find out we ask them you know what's your limit you, you hear well you know your eyesight you know we're asking all these questions so we can develop a care plan based on what they tell us uh, and, and, and generally, if you sit down and have that conversation with yourself, if there's family members, you generally can come to an agreement. It's generally the family that or who, who, who's, who, who's kind of arguing with the senior, mm -hmm. right? You say, Mom, you know you can't do that. You know you can't do that anymore. And it's us sitting back and coming in and say, hey, you know, you know our person can just help you or, or just stand by and assist, assist you while you do that. Would that be okay? You know, still telling her she can't do it. Just to say, we got to stand. We're going to have somebody here. They're going to stand by. If you need some help, they'll step in and, and, and help you out. And a lot of times it'll be that that caregiver's just doing it. Mm -hmm. But but you letting them make that decision. They're at least going to try if they can't. If, if it's not going to be harmful to them. Yeah. And sharing that participation, because as Americans, we're, we're definitely strikingly independent. Right. And I definitely think that baby boomer class of black Americans, extremely strikingly independent just yeah. due to... Sometimes how they had to live, you know. They yeah, how they own. lived, and, and, and then the decisions they seen family make. It's like, ah, oh, it's like, oh, you, your record is not, uh, is not dictating <laughs> you helping me with this said or that said. Right. So, um, so, and you guys' story, um, business here. What's what's doing business like in Detroit been for you all with this business? We've been blessed. I mean, Detroit's been a, just an incredibly kind market and kind kind place to do business for us. Uh, we work with a lot of veterans um, through mm. the Detroit VA as well as the Ann Arbor VA, but, prime, but, but mostly the Detroit VA. And so we've had the honor of being able to help a lot of Detroiters. Um, from a regulatory standpoint in, in Michigan and in, in the Detroit metro area, it's been kind as well for our business. Uh, I think the advantage that we have though um, in spite of the lax regulatory environment here, is that we are franchised, which means that we have a higher standard of care mm. dictated by our franchisors. And it would be no, even if we weren't, we weren't, it would be the same because of who we are as entrepreneurs and businessmen. We'd, we'd offer for ourselves those same standards. So, so for us, Detroit has been just graciously kind to us, and we enjoy doing business in the city. And here, here's the thing that I'm really, really proud of, two, two things. I'm proud of the fact that we service a lot of veterans. I mean, that's just an honor to be able to take care of men and women who serve. But here is the other thing that I'm equally as proud of. Kari, we probably hire around 100 Detroiters. Wow. So we're employing people who live in the city, who pay taxes in the city, and who have the same kind of pride and joy of this the city as we do. And that is uh, dynamic just because of some of the realities here and finding work and then also finding work that you can be proud of here sure. is not uh, very commonplace oftentimes when big business interacts and engages in this market. Um, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times... Uh, 
I've seen people uh, construct different roads around here, and I know, as this neighborhood, we were talking, walking through the house, a lot of able-bodied men that could be, you know, laying down some of that concrete, tearing down that house, um, you know, being involved in it. So being that you're actually, uh, the, the people of the community are working within their community, that is, you know, that that's feeding the soil. Yeah, yeah, feed that Yeah. So, uh, also within doing business in that mar- in in this market, you said you started with that first client. It seems like you all were like, uh, how how big was the was the business from the start? Was it like we, we're ground up? I mean, we, we bought the franchise, but they didn't. That didn't come with clients. clients. Okay. It, it wasn't an existing business that we bought. We had zero. So you all, like, when it started, you all were almost like... We were eating soup. (laughs) That's what we were. That's a a good definition of what we were. Soup. Color soup. You you had the clients, I was like, ah, so so what what do you like? Do you like this this, this chicken noodle or this chicken noodle better? Why are you asking that? Because this will be... A meal for us, at least. No, it... it, um, yeah, we were ground. We had zero clients. We left our professions, made a decent living, and when we left, that paycheck stopped. Mm-hmm. So we obviously had to prepare, knowing that this is what we were doing. Um, and so we grew. We have grown it from that one first client who said he gave us that look. I'm your first client. Yeah, you're our first client. And uh, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> and uh, and now we service. Probably about 120 clients right now. Wow! Congratulations. We probably overall have had 200 plus clients at least uh, mm. over you know over the almost six years being in business. Um, but uh, so yeah, that's where we we started and where we are now. Well, uh, I definitely have more questions about that as. In this world of entrepreneurship, I feel like I have a competitive advantage a little bit with my dad being an entrepreneur. And you sure. said you're from Cleveland. You may actually know my granddad. You ever met Don Scott? No, that ran uh, Veils on the Circle and the Red Room. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. I mean, I know that. I remember. Yeah, it was right there on the circle. Yeah. Yep. Over by the hospital. So Veils Scott. Yep. Veils yeah. Scott is my grandma. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah. So, uh, yes. my birthday's tomorrow, actually. Small but, world. Yes. yes. So, uh, but I've seen the up and flow and the ebb and flow of entrepreneurship as like most my life. So it's a different understanding I have of it. Uh, But I measure it by the number one thing, how long you've been in business. And then you all also have a great customer retention rate. Right. As if if you if you've had two hundred clients and you got one hundred and twenty, that means that the people are staying. So that means that you have something of value that people can appreciate and grow with. Right. So this is for my young entrepreneurs listening. This is what you want to grab onto. Yeah. Right. Retain that customer. Right. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Uh, how, what what um in this market retaining those customers? What's been some of the best tools as far as like keeping people along? Because many people always focus on trying to get new customers when they think about marketing, but don't spend any time exhausting the idea of how to keep people there. It's it's two things. I think for us, uh, the two things that allow us to keep, let let me go back a little bit. Part of the reason that we don't have too much of customers now is because you gotta remember, we deal with elderly who sometimes are sick, who need help. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 God bless them. They they you know 
they they die. Age and attrition, yeah. They die. Uh, but for us, in order to keep the clients that we continue to keep, two factors. One is the level of service that we can provide as an office staff. And we've got six uh, six member staff, about six members, right? A uh, six member staff. Uh, and that's important. So if we're giving good customer service, if my office staff is is kind and gracious and nice and are saying the things that, that are important and need to be said and, and truthful and honest, then that helps. The other thing is the level and quality of caregivers that we have. If we're hiring, as we do, good caregivers who are skilled, who are competent, and who have a lot of those soft skills that are important, like dependability, like um, you know, honesty, like, uh, you know, just the heart for the business, then we can tend to keep our clients longer. But those are the things that we, we hire for. Those are the things that we look for. And a lot of times we get it right. Sometimes we don't from that standpoint. But for us, two things, caregivers and the level of service that we can provide, provide internally. Yeah. Okay. And, and then I, I was already looking at you may have wanted to add a little bit more about that retention. Yeah, that retention is that one of the things we got to stay connected to that client. And those folks that we have working in the office, one of their responsibilities is to survey those clients and to find out what they like, what's going on, how's the caregiver. And so every week, we know we have a weekly meeting, and each, each person in the office who is a schedule slash care manager reports back on the clients that they surveyed that week. So if there is an issue that we need to address, we can take care of it at that time, and they appreciate that. And, 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 and kudos to our staff. They are great. They're caring. Every one of them worked as a caregiver prior to doing what they do in the office, so they understand uh, what's going on, and they have, a, they have a big heart for what we do and what they do. And when things just aren't right, they're always trying to step in and see if we can get it right. Well, I'm asking these questions because it's a lot of young business people. Sure. Uh, and when I say young business person, it, you could be 90, but I mean meaning young into starting their entrepreneurial journey. And you just touched on a couple of things about building that customer retention. You started definitely with the training of your staff. And obviously, if your staff is yourself, that's training yourself to yeah. best provide whatever that service or that product is. And you also talked about just continuing to stay engaged with who your client is, surveying what's happening and, and being conscientious of that. Um, when you were starting this entrepreneurial journey from a corporate world, and when you all started, that was like, I guess, the... a. Uh, a, a, a renaissance in the world, I think, of like some of that that black corporate feel. Like, you know, it, it, it was existence. You sure. know, black enterprise was definitely the cover of black enterprise was way more. This person is the CEO. This person right. is the president. You know, uh, Ebony magazine was definitely pushing this idea of being a part of the uh, climbing that corporate ladder than uh, starting out on your own. Right. What led for you all to uh, have the courage to start out on your own, and what were some of those obstacles, and how did you overcome those obstacles early on in that journey? Well, here's, here's what we knew. Um, uh, I knew this because uh, there were entrepreneurs in my family. My grandfather was an entrepreneur in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. He had a little store. He was a plumber. So we did some things to Mississippi, whereabouts? A little place called Coffeeville, which is near a bigger town called Grenada. A lot of people have heard of Grenada. It's right okay. off 55. 
But he was he he had businesses there, so I saw that every summer that I got a chance to go down there. My father did the same thing. My father was a steel worker, but he did taxes. He was the tax guy, and God God knows how he understood how to do taxes. But he was that smart, and he was able to do that, and that was his side hustle. So I had seen it, and one of the things that I knew from watching my father and my grandfather was that there were two critically important things that you've got to understand when you go into business. One is that you got to be prepared. I mean. Whatever that means for you, for us it meant that uh, that that I did not have the banking side, the, the financial side, but I knew Kevin did. So he made a good partner. Plus, he's been my lifelong friend. We've known each other since nineteen, since we were nineteen years old. Hmm. Met at Indiana on the Capitol line. We're line brothers, and so we knew each other. And, and there was no issue of trust there. But I knew he had the banking side. Uh, I was I was okay with the operational and business side, but I still knew I needed training. But initially, we were good enough to be able to get going. So the first thing I think for any any of your listeners who have an interest in, in entrepreneurship, you've got to be prepared from a skill set standpoint. The second thing that, that we knew in order for us to move anything that we wanted to do forward, Kari, was that you got to be capitalized. you got to have some resources. And that's so critically important because we run across a couple spots in the life of our business where, uh, I mean, we needed we needed cash. And although we infused cash into the business, we still needed to have resources where we could go get more. So you've got to be prepared in those two areas. If you want to strike out and go into business on your own, you've got to at least check off those two boxes as a young entrepreneur. That's critically important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a degree with what Greg was saying. I know I know this is gonna be an oxymoron, but keep your credit up, your credit score. I know sometimes you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to be a business and some things go go left, go right, but do your best to keep your credit because that's how if you want some capital, that's where they're gonna look at the individual. Because as a business you don't have anything to go on when you're brand new, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's you as that person. So build your resume of just keeping doing, paying your bills on time. Just don't give you to the minimum payment until you can pay more. But just just keep your, to keep that keep that in order. And the other thing is as far as it's being prepared is like like I said before I got into pharmaceuticals I was in banking. I so I was looking at people's financial statements and whatnot and always, um, always was interested in their financial station if they're making money or whatnot. So just dabble in that man. Just go online, look at companies' financial statements, and, and just look and see how things are done. And just talk to other entrepreneurs, how they run in their business, you know, how important is cash flow or, or the credit. So have someone to mentor, mentor you, mentor you. That's what mm-hmm. is most important. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, also just uh, in, that, in that lens, uh, making that jump, you spoke of the entrepreneurship. What was the catalyst to make you say, all right, I, I can make, I'm going to try this. Right. Well, after... Doing what I was doing, working in corporate America, I just thought, I, I was getting a little bored with what I was doing. And and like I said, previously I used to work with small business owners. And I you know, and I always envied them, that just, I don't know envy, but I liked what they were doing. I liked the fact that they were, they were their own boss. They were, you know, they were making money. They were coming into the bank. They were, this is what I need money for. I'm expanding. And, and, and that just always interests me. Uh, and so when that time, when I was at that time in 2014, I've always had that spirit, but I was like, well, this is the time to do it. This is the time to do it. 
And if I don't do it now, I'm getting older, when am I going to do it, you know? So let's just tap into the resources I have. And Greg was doing, thinking the same thing, so let's do it. And it's good that I had a business partner, right? It's much easier doing it with somebody else. Now you got to split the profits, but it's much easier to do it when you got somebody working that you trust side by side because it's tough. It is tough. It All can right. be. Which leads to the next yeah. question, because a lot of people do start yeah. off with partnerships. And uh, one of those old adages is, oh, I can't do business with friends and family. Yeah. How, how have you all kept that friendship? Because business does have tough times, you know. And, you know, I'm guessing if you all have been friends for so long, I mean, it's, it's you all are past the friendship, bro. You all are like family mode. So it's almost like uh, but we, families we, know each other and everything. We, we, fight, we fight like dogs and cats. <laughs> and we do. But we, we can do that because here's what's really interesting. Whenever we're fighting, it's always about what's best for the business. And so we always come up with the best decision for the business. But what's interesting about he and I is that we, I mean, we, we see other folks having these same disagreements, but we can, we can fight and be mad and sour-faced at each other, but we're done two minutes later. Then the, the business gets a chance to move forward on its best step because we've made the best decision. And I think that's the beauty of, of the, the friendship and the, the business relationship that we have. We always keep it in context. Knowing that if we gonna fight and we do, we do a lot. It's always about what's best for the business. Right. And you gotta be able to let go and admit to, well, I may not have been right. Mm. All right. He has, a, he has a hard time doing that. <laughs> so you may. I'm better at it than he is. Right. Right. And so, see, I'm letting it go. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right there. Right there. Let oh, go. Right through. You made a right through. So, it, 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 you know, we, we both of us have to agree, but we're going to make a major decision. We both have to agree to it. So, mm -hmm. so it's always about, like he said, what's the best for the business? We, we both want to be successful. Here's a challenge. I think the challenge is that you've just got to, if, if we're talking about partnerships and that's what we're talking about there are huge advantages to partnerships one is that you can put your monies together and it makes things a lot easier and it even creates opportunities where there was none if you didn't have the money so partnerships make sense the challenge of a partnership is just very simply this you got to find the right partner i i think uh yes definitely but vision also vision. because uh you all have committed for years to this it's been partnerships I've seen where, you know, somebody wants to veer off the freeway right. after a while. It was like, all right, my plan was just to be here for five years or these are the benchmarks I set in my mind. Uh, and it takes that propensity of a little bit of insanity to do entrepreneurship in the first place because right. you're you're climbing a hill that it looks like you'll never get over sometimes. Right. But and then for some people they reach that plateau or they want to expand in different ways. Like I think of my operation and the different people that have supported me, and they're always asking like, "Okay, that sounds crazy, you know? Uh, I don't know where that's gonna go." But it, it's it's my own vision. But in a partnership, committing to that vision and then like sharing in that space is really any relationship. I assume it's a lot like a marriage in some ways in the sense of like having to agree upon where we can go with this and then trust in right. someone else to be like, okay, I'm unsure about this and I'm nervous and I think it's a vulnerability, but I trust in them enough to 
believe in this. That's why it's so important to plan, as you said. So we, we sit down <clears throat> at the beginning of the year and we're planning out where we want to go for the year. We have a three-year vision. We have a five-year vision. So, so instead of us getting really off track, yeah. we can look back at our plan and say, "Is this where we're going?" Now, of course, we deviate sometimes because yeah. things happen in life, and you, you, and you, 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 you know, there might be an opportunity you didn't have, you didn't think you were going to have, so you do that. But the, the biggest thing is, is is sitting down, which some sometimes for entrepreneurs is hard, but you need to, you got to do it. Is that's the planning and the vision, uh, and to make sure we all we agree that what that plan is <clears throat> okay and then also you have other stakeholders uh you, you have the number one stakeholder which is the client because that's mm -hmm. uh you know mm -hmm. money comes in but you also have staff right. and you also have the other people that are a part of growing your business because you're buying different goods and, and services and you're relying on different systems right. um and, and building this out uh how how has the design been here and just working within the market of Detroit, it's great that you all are working with so many, uh, have hired so many Detroiters, but what's been the business market of working with other businesses here so far with you? I know you got one person helping with marketing big time sitting <laughs> over here in Charlene, but, uh, and that speaks, I think, volumes. What's it been like working within the market here and doing business with other businesses? Well, I mean, we've, we've worked with, with some other businesses. We try to partnership with not, I mean, so the, the notion of partnership um, is, is sort of broad in that we try to partner with other companies in this space. So whether it's a home health company that does the nursing and the physical therapy, if there are opportunities for us to partner with them, we will because we give them business, they can give us business. Same thing with, with you know, maybe maybe it's a case management company. Maybe it's uh, another home care company. We try to find those opportunities. Uh, I, for, for me, uh, I, I think what's critical, and I think for Kevin, I don't want to speak for Kevin, but I think I can in this instance, but I think we try to look for those opportunities with other African-American companies because there's so few of us who are out there doing the, are effective uh, and so if we if we can if we can come up with those partnerships, and that's not to say we don't partnership with anybody because we do, but I think it's important for African American companies to work together. And so we try to come up with those opportunities where we're uh, we're working with those. Uh, another another partnership, which is a critical partnership in entrepreneurship, is the support of your spouses, and we didn't talk about that. Uh, so that that. That opportunity is, is critical for us, too, and for any entrepreneur. You need to have support. My wife, Kevin's wife, supports us 125%. That just makes life a lot easier. And so there are a lot of things. Uh, but, but, but just strictly speaking to the whole Detroit environment, we, we, work with, uh, we work with those businesses that, you know, we think that we can help them move their business forward, and they help us move our business forward. So it's, been, it's, it's worked out. It's worked out for us. For you, what what have you found uh, working with some of the businesses and uh, and just doing business? I, I like that you spoke to doing business with black businesses, as that consciousness seems to be less and less prevalent. I think as I've grown older, but this is just my own view. I don't have any stats or anything like that, but sure. it seems that that conscientiousness that was more present in like a Coleman Young era doesn't seem as prevalent right now. In Detroit, at least when I when I look at some of the uh, some of my colleagues that do business, you know. Right. 
You know, so what, what do you think the uh, the market's been doing, working business to business here in Detroit? You know, I, I as Greg said, we we try to partner where we can, especially with the black businesses, and you know, and we have been successful in that in that regard. You know, you mentioned Charlene. We've had other uh, marketers that are African American. We've had a black accountant at one point. And black accountant at one time. We've had uh, insurance. You know, we've purchased insurance from black-owned agency. Yeah. You know, so we, it, it's been nice. It, it it all comes down to though. Um, can we work with you? Yeah. You know, are you same type culture within the businesses? Are we all trying? You know, we we want somebody that uh, gotta be legitimate. <laughs> you know, talk about that, brother. <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> right. So yes. it, 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 you 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 gotta be. Um, yeah. So 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 we 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 work where we can, and and, and but we, we'll partner with anybody that can. We help us move our business forward. I should say that are credible and help us move our business forward and we can help them too. All right, so you talked about the vision of what's happening forward. I know you can't expose everything because competition will be looking like, ah, oh, I'm gonna do that. But uh, what's to come? Well, we're not, I guess first thing, we're not afraid of competition because the reality is that there's a ton of business in this space for for, for a lot of us. We, we're a little different as well and that's that's the bigger reason that we're not afraid of competition. We do a couple things especially well and some things that nobody else would and some other things that, that other home care companies do at all. I mean we're really good with veterans, we're really good with long-term care insurance and, and our competition uh, sometimes don't delve into that area. So what's, what's next for us? Uh, we've been a traditional home care company for I guess about uh, four, four and a half years now. One of the things... Hmm? It'll be six years in August. No, no, I mean just in the traditional oh. sense of just taking care of elder, elderly people. Mm-hmm. So we, we did that for about four and a half years. I think about a year and ago, a year ago, we started recognizing opportunities with this whole Michigan auto law. And you know, the, the, the law says that, you know, if you've been hit by a car or been in a car accident, you get certain benefits that you typically wouldn't get if you hadn't. Now, it's changed some, but but we, we, we're delving a little bit more into that side of it, the skill side where there's nurses and physical therapists and such. And so we're kind of moving in that direction, sort of, kind of slowly moving in that direction. And I think that's where we see our growth coming from. It's from that side of the, the whole home care, care space. Hmm. Okay. Okay, and uh, what about uh, as far as just here in the city of Detroit? Do you see like expanding into other markets? Do you want to stay and stamp here? What what's happening next in reference to that? Well, you mean outside the Detroit area, or or within outside the of city? Michigan possibly yeah, right. outside of you know uh, it's it, you know our our core business is right here. It's right here. We. we 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 have a franchise. We actually own like two territories. What we call the Farmington Hills, Detroit, and we have Ann Arbor too. Okay, but our core business, we, most of our clients are actually in the city of Detroit. Uh, but that's our core business. And as Greg said, we're we're moving out a little bit towards the uh, the medical side, skill side of it. But you know, there might be other opportunities out of state. You know, we mm-hmm. had a conversation just recently. I just say it right there that that there might be other opportunities. So. It, Wait and see. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll see stay tuned. Happens. Right, right. What happens? Right. And, and I think it's a competitive advantage of staying local sometimes, right. uh, because you know more of the market is every place has its own culture, right. 
that and that learning curve takes place. So that's where like the opportunity has to be worth the risk, right. as we always say in business. Right. Uh, Charlene just said you all were just mentioned in the Who's Who in Black Detroit from Real Times Media. So congratulations well, on thank that. You. Thank you. And, uh, and and more so like the listings and a lot of the awards and even media like this can be used as leverage to. Uh, introduce your business to so many new clients. Right. Uh, what what has been the way that uh, most clients find out about you? Well, it's been a couple of different ways. We uh, we at one point we were doing TV. We kind of cut. We we did cut back on that, uh, and we thought that that was that was effective. Uh, we do a show on nine ten a.m. called Mind Your Business. It's probably <laughs> wow. one of the best shows. On, on I said on TV on radio nowadays it's hosted by this young beautiful lady by the name of Charlene Mitchell Rogers <laughs> who does just an incredible job of, of, of getting information about businesses move forward and out to the, the audience so we do that we uh, we are on Facebook we're on Twitter we're on LinkedIn we're on Instagram I believe um, so we've got we've got internet presence uh, what what else do we do. Well, we just partner. We have partners. You know, people refer business to us. So, um, as Greg mentioned, we have case managers for businesses the Detroit and Ann Arbor VA. So, um, we do a little bit of Medicaid, a waiver program. So, in these organizations, uh, if you're doing a good job, they'll keep feeding you referrals. All right. So, from the rare, from the rare break in a Detroit is different. Uh, I, we're kind of already coming to the close of what this interview has been, and this has been a rich interview where you all provided a lot of great information about entrepreneurship, doing business here in Detroit, and what your start is. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Charlene. Uh, and then also, congratulations on everything you all have been doing in business for so Thank long. Uh, how do people get in contact with you? If a person's like, hey, I want to reach out, how do people connect? Uh, uh, we can be reached by phone, of course, uh, which is 248-237-6377. Um, That's 248-237-6377. We're on the web at amatafarmingtonhills.com, amatafarmingtonhills.com. So you can get us on the website. You can go to our website. You can see, uh, <coughs> excuse me, you can see our site. Uh, also, we're on, um, you can go to Facebook. Uh, and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, so, um, any other way? That's probably the three best ways. The three best ways. Okay. Just give us a call. Yeah. Call us. Okay. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. Uh, and classic Detroit is different questions. I usually have, like, a lot more, but I'm going to just stop at two this time because it's like, uh, I think the last one is more like a, like, oh, Detroiters to answer that one. But yeah. you, even though you got to be here for a minute. Yeah. But, First one, uh, what was your very first car, year, make, and model, and what year did you get it? My very first car was a 1978 Pontiac Bonneville. I got it in 1983. Okay. That was the coolest car on the road. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's like, uh, yeah, it's probably like somebody trying to uh, recondition that car for the Dream Cruise every year. <laughs> So, uh, how long did it last? Uh, I had it until I left college. Um, so, I had it until 87. Got my first job. I, uh, I bought a new car, and I literally left it at the house that I lived in in college. Mm. Mm. 
Oh, somebody definitely reconditioned that. I can tell you right now. Somebody's like, oh, thank God they bought that. They they moved in and got the house. They had a car. Man, Uh, I'm winning. I'm winning out here. (laughs) All right. So the first car that I bought or the first car that I was driving, that was, I said, was mine. Okay, but we can give both stories. Uh, First one, I was driving to high school and all my friends, we were in a 1969 Bonneville. Okay, okay. <laughs> Going back and forth to school, I'm collecting a dollar for the gas. Um, and then... Uh, okay, I'm guessing that's male friends, because I'm guessing if your girlfriend no, went to right, 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 that was going back and forth to school. Right. Well, he would have charged her, too. So I'm gonna, he, he's going to tell you about the second one. I'm going to tell you the story on the second one. Oh, go ahead. That was a quick, you to tell quickly, that story. quickly ended relationship. <laughs> uh, well, then I'll just, y'all won't go to the first one. Then the other one was, uh, in college, it was a 1977 Vega. Red, Red Vega. Vega. Red Vega. Red Vega. Red Vega. Mm. And I'll stop right there. And, and so okay. he, he, here is the story behind it. So he has this car, and, you know, we most people in school don't have cars, so we're riding in this car. He has it for a while. He leaves school. And he does the same thing, goes out and gets a new car. So he decides that he wants to sell this car. But he decides that he wants to sell it to the girl that he's dating. The girl he's dating. He sells this oh, car to man. her. That, that one second. And he's been dating this girl for years. He loves her. He loves her like he loves nobody else. Long walks in the park, long <laughs> conversations, watching the sun rise and the moon fall. Or in, and he ends up, and this girl ends up marrying him. <laughs> Let me say this. This is his wife. This. He's his hey, future if I wife. Had to pick, if I had to pick a salesperson for a team, I, I know why he's the sales guy. Now I know why he's the sales guy. I don't know how you. I don't know how you. I did not sell it to her. We, we gave I him sold the it business. to her father. We gave him the business oh, okay, for okay. years for selling okay. his fiance this car. Because I, I just sold it to, to say, her father. I was just about to say, was it her dad? Like, yeah, it was her that's father. The only premise. Because she drove it. Carmen, she drove it though. Some long conversations. <laughs> it lasted two months. <laughs> long conversations. All right, but anyway. Right. Because I assume, like, like, yeah, I can be like, yeah, 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 I'm not using the car anymore. You can buy it. I mean, what do you want to? The market value is, whew. It's 300 bucks. <laughs> but oh, it was man. your fiance. She wasn't my fiance. She was, she was good. She was good. Has she, has she, uh, how does she remember the story? The same way. I think she's, she should be bitter. She's not bitter, but she should be bitter about it. No, it worked out well for her. She ended up getting a brand new car. <laughs> and, uh, and a husband. Well, tell her, tell her, to, tell her to view this podcast uh, up to uh, minute 49. Right. About <laughs> so have a recollection of this experience. Okay, other classic Detroit is different question. Um... So you all can pick four songs, because each one of you pick two. You guys are DJing at the end of the Detroit Fireworks, right? And it's Woodward and Jefferson, and you get to play four songs. Well, each of you play two songs. What songs are you playing? Uh, Stevie Wonder, Love in Need of Love. Okay, that's a great one. And George Clinton, Atomic Dog. Okay, you're going to definitely have some people partying. I'm not a music guy, but it'd be Prince. Purple Rain. As a captain, you don't play Tommy Dog. What are you doing? Right. right. Um, yeah, anything Prince. Anything. Yeah. Okay, so you yeah. say Purple Rain. Right. Uh, well, give me another Prince song. Little Red Corvette. Little Red No, I didn't like that one. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like Little Red Corvette. Charlie, you the Well, Little Red Corvette, yeah. Oh. The movie was horrible, but yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't think necessarily people appreciate Prince for his thespian works. Yeah, right, right. But right. more power to uh, Under the Cherry Moon yeah. and all of that uh, right, right. other stuff that Prince was doing, the man from Minneapolis, another one of the Big Ten states. Right. Absolutely. As we keep this thing going, thank you all. This was a great interview. Peace thank be. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.